You're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Mura Vanya. And my name is Ri Rayu. And it is July. Summer has officially started. Has it been started? I, I think I it's know. already started. It's hot, but uh, what a great time to stay indoors and read a book. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know a lot of you are expecting to hear our discussion of our june book club pick kafka on the shore by haruki murakami but uh we're going to be postponing that discussion for a little bit uh because we just want to prepare uh a bit more for that episode yeah yeah we understand that it's a very uh i guess it's you know you want to you want to be prepared for to discuss your first Murakami, I guess. I know we're we're I I'm a little bit scared to talk about it, but um by the time we release this episode, hopefully I <laughs> I am a little bit more prepared to to discuss yeah. it in front of a microphone. Yeah, and also our schedules have been pretty whack lately, so um we just need a little bit more time to get things ready for you. Yeah. And yeah, so sit tight for that. But Rero, since it is July 2019, what are we reading for this month? So for this month, we're going to be switching things up and reading a sci-fi thriller. Uh, the book's title is Zero Sum Game, and it's written by S.L. Huang. Yeah. I, I read a box quote on the back saying this is pretty much a math jack reacher type of story i mean it's called zero sum game i i expect some math to be involved <laughs> and also i read um could also be economics you know? that's that that is true um but Which sl also math but sl huang i heard that she went to mit and studied uh, mathematics okay. and she she's also like a stunt woman or like worked as a stunt woman so wow. she's like probably the coolest person i've read about <laughs> read about recently so i i am very curious uh as to like how her experiences have kind of like leaked into the book um but yeah we haven't read a thriller in a while so i am very excited um we do have an author interview prepared instead of our murakami discussion and um in this episode, I talked to Misa Sugiura on her book, This Time Will Be Different. Yeah, Ria, tell us about This Time Will Be Different. What's it about? Uh, this Time Will Be Different centers around a 17-year-old girl named CJ Katsuyama. And uh, she it's, it's very interesting because um, it really dives into um, really complex issues like racism, sexism, white savior complex, and uh, feminism. And uh, really asks a, a, a lot of important questions about how we move forward with, uh, uh, with mistakes from the past, injustices of the past. So it centers around CJ Katsuyama and uh, she finds out that um, her mother is going to sell her family's flower shop, which has been in the family for generations. And... Um, and she finds out that her mom is planning to sell the flower shop to the McAllisters. And the McAllisters, uh, their family 
were the ones who um, kind of swindled uh, the Katsuyamas when the uh, 1000s of Japanese Americans were being sent to uh, prison camps. And uh, they had to sell their flower shop um, pretty quickly because uh, the government was really just kind of uh, pressuring uh, Japanese American families to sell their properties before they got imprisoned. So um, the McAllisters, they pretty much bought the flower shop for like for like nothing. Mm -hmm. And then after uh, the Japanese Americans were released from uh, from these camps, the Katsuyamas wanted to buy back their shop. But the McAllisters being the greedy, (laughs) (laughs) being the greedy capitalists that they are, they um, they sell the flower shop at market price, which is much, much higher than um, than the Katsuyamas originally uh, sold it for. So uh, there's a bit of like a family grudge there. And uh, CJ actually finds out later that uh, the McAllisters, they swindled a lot of Japanese American families in the local area. And this kind of galvanized uh, the the community and some of her Asian American high school students into uh, campaigning for their school, which is actually named after the McAllisters, <laughs> to change uh, to to change their name because they find out that uh, actually the land that the high school's on belonged to a Japanese American farmer. Mm. So they kind of uh, campaign for their school to be uh, renamed after that farmer. Wow. So there's there's a lot going on in this book. There's yeah. a lot of diversity. You have a, a bunch of queer characters, a bunch of different Asian American characters from different backgrounds, and um, I think I I finished a book and I personally uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Misa. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Misa Sugiura, uh, the author of This Time Will Be Different. Hi, Misa. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Great. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I was really excited to talk to you today because uh, I finished your book recently and I am so stoked to talk about it. So this is your second novel. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that writing a second book, it can be a little bit more challenging than writing a debut book, especially if you're on uh, a deadline. Yes, uh, it was. Well, so I actually missed my deadline by about a year and a half. (laughs) My initial, um, my agent kindly said, like, just think of it as a suggestion. You know, she was trying to take the pressure off, but, uh, it ended up being me taking that literally, (laughs) um, So, yeah, it was a two-book deal, and the first draft was due in early 2017, and, yeah, I ended up getting it to my editor in the, like, fall of 2018. Um, And I think that had a lot to do with, yeah, kind of the paralysis that comes with having to to do it again. and I spent a lot of time spinning my wheels and starting plots and starting, you know, starting stories and throwing them out. And, um, and eventually what I turned into my editor was, uh, just basically a pile of loosely connected scenes. And there was kind of a beginning, a middle and an end. And I 
crossed my fingers and apologized and uh and that yeah <laughs> and my editor um Stephanie Stein was just amazing and she took a look at it and said here this is what I think your the heart of your novel is and why don't you arrange the rest of it around that and uh yeah and after that it was just a matter of I, I love revising um you know once I have a once I have a clear direction then um for me like no revision is too difficult so far I should I should I've been lucky <laughs> um so but yeah, it was really hard to write the first the, the first draft. Oh, that's always the hardest part. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so like even though you missed your deadline, um like this book was so timely to me because it touched uh, a lot of important issues and political uh, issues that we face today, such as racism, sexism, uh white savior complex, but uh before we dive into all of that, I uh, I couldn't help but notice that in your acknowledgments, you wrote that you were inspired by your uncle's experience with uh, Japanese-Canadian inter uh, internment. Uh, can you talk more about that and what led you to uh, write this book? Yeah, so um, so that uh, experience for me was something that it was kind of almost a an echo of an earlier of of earlier experiences I've had with, um, with Nisei or the people who came of age, I guess, in, in the camps, um, often people who, of his generation. So, you know, like in their eighties and nineties right now, um, didn't really, you know, they didn't talk very much about the camps afterwards. Um, and or maybe even older, I'm thinking George Takei was pretty young and he, and, and he was part of the movement to get reparations in the eighties. But, um, yeah, the people who were adults and young adults in the camps often just wanted to put that experience behind them. And, um, and I had, there were people in my sort of found family, my parents found family who were like grandparents to me who never spoke about being in the camps. And I only learned about it. I only realized that they had been in the camps at some point in high school when I, you know, there was a paragraph about it in my history book. Um, and they insisted like, Oh, it's, it was fine. You know, it was no big deal. And we just, you know, you just live through it. And it's that whole um, Japanese philosophy of uh, uh, right. You just, that's just the way it is. You deal with it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then my uncle, I should have put two and two together and realized that he too had been in the camps because I knew he was Japanese Canadian and he was the right generation, but he never t talked about it either. And it was, it, uh, and when he passed away, uh, I was in the middle of struggling, uh, with this draft and I was at his, his memorial service and there were photos of him in the camps and his mother had been a teacher, you know, she taught second grade while they were in, uh, interned and, um, and I had never known his middle name and his middle name, as it turns out <clears throat> was Mackenzie. And he had been named after the prime minister of Canada who eventually signed the order for Japanese Canadians to go to camps. And that, 
I, I was just blown away. I was like, how, how did I live my entire life? I was in, you know, 40 something at that time. And, um, and, and no one ever told me this and no one ever spoke of this. And, uh, and my cousins too said, yeah, we just, it like, it's crazy. Like, I can't believe that, that it happened. And the irony is just so bitter and painful and, yeah, it was kind of a taboo topic of conversation. And um, and they didn't know much about his experience either. And and that made me start to think, like, someone needs to talk about it, but it's already been talked about in the sort of historical sense, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we, yeah, we were sitting there talking about, well, what did it mean for us? And what did it mean that he, you know, how did, how did that affect the rest of his life? Um, and the power of knowing these things, even today, even though, even though it'll happen so long ago was, that was the feeling I decided I wanted to write about. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like now the, um, the current generation of Japanese Americans, they're really, um, you know, digging into their grandparents and parents past and really, uh, taking this opportunity to, um, you know, like to to talk more about internment and how um, there are lingering effects from it. And it's not even just the lingering <clears throat> effects on the victims, but also the perpetrators, uh, those who did advocate for uh, the internment. And um, I really like that you delve into it. It's a, it's a very complicated and... Um, an ugly topic um, because in your book you have the McAllisters, who um, mm-hmm. who essentially they they swindled a lot of Japanese Americans of their land and property and used it for their own personal gain. And um, mm-hmm. I, I I just want you to talk a little bit more about that plot line, um, if you can. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think. Um... One of the inspirations for that was uh, um, a- another thing that happened <laughs> in uh, shortly before I really got going on the draft was um, uh, at, there were some controversies um, at some Ivy League colleges at Princeton and at Yale about buildings named after people who, you know, we realized, oh, they were actually really racist or they were slave owners or, you know, and, um, and, uh, and even while I was drafting it, there was a school in Palo Alto, um, that, which is close to where I live, um, where some child was doing a history project and realized that the man, the name, the school was named after was a eugenicist and was a really heavy proponent of, um, sort of like weeding out um, uh, quote undesirable um, genetic elements and you know believed that was sort of racism as a scientific fact and um, so let's see yeah so all of that had, re- had me really thinking about um, this feeling that yes, you know, the argument against 
these protesters at the Ivy League schools were like, was, um, you know, yes, yes, yes. You know, racism is terrible and slavery was terrible. But, you know, these men were great men. They did really great things. And um, can't we just put aside the anger and honor the great deeds that they did? Uh, and that argument has never quite, you know, it doesn't sit right with me <laughs> as and um, and yeah, I be- I began to think about how that situation might sort of organically be transplanted into the Bay Area, which is where I wanted to set my story. Um, and then my grandfather's uh, memorial service sort of happened right as I was sort of mulling those issues over in my head, and the story was born from there. And um, it's interesting to me that Japanese Americans did own quite a bit of land. And in fact, I think there were, I think almost right before the war or right before they were sent to the camps, um, I think it was something like 70 or 80% of the agricultural economy of the West coast was, um, was Japanese American farmers. And, um, and there's no sign of that. There's, you know, maybe a florist here or a nursery there. And, um, and, and we don't see that at all. Um, well, people often forget that, uh, Asian Americans have been here for a while, a number of generations. Yes, yes, exactly. And, uh, yeah. And so just this whole idea that we have these, you know, these great, white um, philanthropists and politicians and and all this stuff um, that we name our schools after and our streets and our buildings and our hospitals and our libraries and we don't really dig into their pasts. Um, And, you know, I I thought that was something that was worth talking about. And um, yeah, it definitely. Um, so I'm from Georgia, and it definitely reminded me of uh, the Confederate like flag and how there were protests about uh, how the flag was disrespectful to uh, uh, to black families, and also how like these statues are are just like really like like what was the point of having these statues of of men who. Uh, were for slavery and how um, how also their descendants they uh, they're kind of not they in a way they are excusing their uh, great uh, great grandparents uh, there's really no delicate way to put this but their racism um, yeah. saying, saying that like oh it was a different time uh, let let bygones be bygones and, you know, my great grandparents' uh, sins or their failures, they don't really, like, they're not my failures. And I really liked how your book really explored, um, like, how do we move on from that? How do we carry uh, those failures into the future? What can we do to forgive and what can we do to make up for it? And uh, that's, you know, that's kind of encompassed in your title, this time will be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, it's, it, it, yeah, it's an issue I've always kind of struggled with how to, ex- 
express my point of view. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, uh, crystallize it and explain it to people. Um, you know, and it was just, we, every, everyone was kind of, it was in the air at the time because it was by the time, yeah, when I was struggling with this draft, we were in the middle of the election and then like in the early days of, um, of the Trump presidency. And so, um, Lots of inspiration to pull yeah, from. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought someone needs to say something about this <laughs> in a way that's not. Yeah, and the other thing was that you know I'm on Twitter fairly often, and you know things blow up quickly on Twitter, and people get so angry and are just shouting at each other. And um, I, I yeah, I wanted a way to talk about it in a way that that wasn't just shouting and screaming. <laughs> Well, I mean, like everybody was angry, right? Like um, it didn't even matter whose side you were on at that point. Everyone was just angry with each other. And um, and I felt like people I agreed with most were, no matter how cogent they were, and, you know, I just felt so much of the time we're all just shouting into the void you know, online, it's just these like snappy, like one-liners and it's hard to really delve into anything. And, uh, I wanted, I, yeah, I wanted to have a chance to dig into things and, and really explore the issues and the questions in a medium that wasn't Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, books take much more efforts than writing 160 characters. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one of the things I, I did like about your book was um, how, like every other chapter, you kind of went into like this coda and um, you kind of had like a timeline of what happened in like Asian American history on like immigration, the Exclusion Act, um, mm-hmm. how like the internment and how the model minority myth was made. And I'm sure, like, it was very educational for uh, readers who are unfamiliar with that kind of history. Um, is there any, like, like was that history something that you knew intimately, or was that something that you had to uh, do your homework on? Um, yeah, I, I was pretty familiar with the history of the internment and a little, and some of the events, you know, the uh the asian uh the chinese exclusion act um so i actually did my college thesis on literature japanese american literature from the internment um and it was a long time ago but you know the, so i i was i was familiar with all of that um so most of that was just kind of refreshing you know going back and checking online to make sure i had my facts right um, the model minority myth, I didn't, I, that, that was a lot of that was kind of a, a big revelation for me. Um, cause you really get specific with it too. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had no idea like the origins of it. And, um, and I, you know, I, I began writing the book also partly as a way to push back on some of the stereotypes of of Asian American um, girls and women in particular, um, but yeah, at some point I got curious and wondered like why, where did this come from? Um, 
and yeah, I had, I had no, I had no idea that this, you know, that, um, that the government had made like public relations films about, Oh, Japanese Americans are doing so much better after the internment, everything's fine. You know, like kind of absolving themselves of any, of any guilt or any, uh, of any crime that they had committed. (laughs) Um, and I didn't know about the, uh, Chinese American leaders kind of taking the opportunity in the fifties to sort of, uh, to promote Chinese American, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what we can like, like, you know, good citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that was, that was brand new to me. I hadn't heard of that before. Yeah. It's something that I, I don't really see in a lot of YA books. Um, like we, we see, characters who fit into the model minority myth and uh, characters uh, characters now who um, don't meet that standard and like the harmful effects of it. Um, and um, I, I thought you did a really good job because like there is so much history involved and it is such a sensitive topic. And I loved how CJ, like she kind of had this, ha- have this complex about it because uh, she's not a hashtag winner and uh, she mm-hmm. has a lot of insecurities about it. And it was something that was really relatable to me as someone who uh, doesn't really fit into the model minority myth either. Um, was that something that you um, originally planned in CJ's character? Was that like originally like part of the first draft, knowing that like I want to write a character who doesn't fit into this myth, who feels uh, uh, these insecurities about it? Because because she does have a mother who kind of embodies, uh, kind of embodies that myth. Yeah, for sure. I um, that was definitely uh, part of the plan, I guess. I, I my the very, very, very initial seed of the book was I was thinking relationship between a Asian American girl who who um, who doesn't fit into that that mold. Um, uh, and I hadn't really, uh, expected to have her, um, feel weird about it. You know, initially I was just going to have this girl who was different from, from some, you know, from the sort of stereotypical Asian character. And, um, uh, so as it happens, I have an Asian American son <laughs> who also doesn't fit into the mold. And um, yeah, and as I was writing this book, I became, and you know, it's been a thing where I have realized more and more how much I really actually did want him to fit. Uh, and in my brain, I've always thought, Oh, I want my child to be whatever he wants to be, you know, whatever my children choose to pursue, I'm going to support it. And I found myself struggling with the fact that I actually wasn't a hundred percent, uh, living my ideals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And I saw him struggling with that too, with that conflict between the two of us. And, and that made me, decide to put that aspect of CJ's character uh, into the book as well. This, this idea that, 
not only am I failing my parents, but I'm also failing this sort of social societal expectation for kids who look like me. Um, I, I really do uh, love the relationship between um, CJ and her mother Mimi and also um, her aunt Hannah. It's an Asian American family that I haven't really seen a lot of in in books, especially YA, because Mimi is a single mother and she's never been married and um, CJ was an unplanned pregnancy and like she calls her aunt by her first name. It's all very like uh, very different uh, to me. And um, I, I just really loved that. Like you have these strong female characters who are so, 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 so different from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was the same same sort of thing. I really wanted Mimi to, you know, exactly embody some of the things we expect of Asian American women of a of a certain age. This, you know, the overachiever, um, driven, and I know so many women like that. And it does um, come from a a place of parental love. Um, just mm-hmm. wanting your child to have all the opportunities that you didn't have and to really, you know, kind of like maximize their abilities. I think that is uh, not just like an Asian American thing. I think it's definitely like a parental thing of, of, of this generation of teenagers nowadays uh, in Gen Z. There's so much pressure on them. Uh, there is so much oh, pressure yeah. to succeed and to go to um, to do all these activities to make themselves look good for college op- college applications. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you should know because you're you're a parent. <laughs> yeah, no, it's bananas. Like it's just, um, you know, I hear about like parents who are encouraging their kids to become tuba players because there are like particularly Asian parents <laughs> because they want their, you know, like there's not that many tuba players. So if you can get really good at playing the tuba, you know, maybe then you can get into this prestigious orchestra and then you can whatever. And um, I understand. Cause I, I was an oboe player in high school oh. and my mom, my mom was like, there's not that many oboe players. <laughs> like it will look good on your yeah. college resume. And then I went to college exactly. and like literally five Asian girls that I became friends with, they all were oboe players in their, in their <laughs> local high schools. Yeah. And, you know, and the, and the, and the, the sort of um, little cottage industry of maybe it's even more than a cottage industry of, of, of counselors who tell you like what classes to take and what clubs to join. And like, it's um, it's probably like that, or, or you know, everywhere. But Silicon Valley is incredibly it's it feels really heightened <laughs> around here. <laughs> well, of course, with like all the tech companies and and uh, yeah, startup, startup yeah, culture. And, and exactly, and there's just such a high standard for um, you know just for achievement. You know, they have, like our little local uh, summer. You know the city sponsored summer camps have like oh, I, there was one that was called like little doctors or I, or might have been like little pre-med and for I, I mean I, I was like really <laughs> like, 
I don't know. I just, it's too much for me. So yeah, that was also part of my, that was in the book, just me pushing back a little bit against that. <laughs> Uh, what I re- what I really uh, loved was your diversity of characters, and um, mm-hmm. you had so many Asians in your book, and they were all so vastly different. Uh, you have CJ, who isn't a straight A student, and um, kind of struggles with um, with finding what she is good at. And mm-hmm. you have uh, people like M, who is you know doing a lot of leadership or doing a lot of leadership roles you have um biracial characters and you also have uh queer characters was was that an important aspect for you to write this uh for you in writing this book to make sure that you had uh-huh. a diverse a, a wide spectrum of Asians with different experiences and uh different levels of abilities and also, mm-hmm. um, queer characters from uh, different uh, different parts of the spectrum. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it. I mean, I yes, in the sense that I, you know, I wanted to write uh, an inclusive novel, but um, I'm also somebody who I, I feel like. Um, one reason I write contemporary is because my imagination is limited. <laughs> like I, I just want to make things as close to reality as possible. I mean, apart from the, you know, sort of things that plots have to do sometimes. Um, and, uh, and in our, in, in, in my community where I live and where I used to teach, that's, that was, that is the reality where um, there are just a lot of different kinds of Asians. You know, it's a very Asian heavy area around here and there are not as many Asians, uh, Asian teenagers are um, out of the closet as, you know, I think, I think, and uh, there are, there tend to be more, white kids in the QSAs, even in high schools with a lot of Asians. Um, but there are some Asians and yeah, that was, so I, yeah, I just, I just wanted to write a book that reflected the reality of where I live. Um, so yeah. That, uh, yeah. So that's what that was. <laughs> I guess, I guess moving on this book uses flower magic. And I, I was just curious, like, were you into flowers before writing the book? Or was that something that you had to, like, go into, like, Wikipedia and, 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 and do your research? <laughs> uh, yeah, I had to do a lot of, there were three or four websites that I was constantly referring to. Um, and, um, yeah, I, the, the flowers were part of the story kind of from the beginning because it, um, and I wanted to have a family business and, you know, that was um, growing flowers, like having nurseries and flower growing farms and, and um, florist shops was, that was uh, a space that Japanese Americans like sort of occupied uh, in the early 20th century. And then from there, 
um, I actually don't even know how it happened. I just, maybe it was, yeah, it was the aunt, you know, she's sort of airy fairy. And I thought, oh, this would be the perfect thing for her to, to love. Um, and my mom had a pretty big flower garden when I was growing up. And so I know a lot of flowers, <laughs> uh, had my favorites and things like that as a kid. Um, I, myself cannot keep a plant alive like, <laughs> for the life of me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but, uh, I, yeah, I kind of enjoyed really digging into the, really thinking about the flowers and their meanings and, um, you know, in, in, in Japanese culture and in Asian, other Asian cultures too, a lot of flowers have different symbolic meanings and, um, that was fun to sort of think about as well. So, so one of the through lines in your book is uh, CJ's uh, teen pregnancy, and uh, mm-hmm. she does go and get an abortion. And um, maybe it's just me because I, I I would like to say that I I have read a great deal of YA books, but but um. But I really haven't really seen um, abortion being talked about in, in a mm-hmm. lot of books. And um, like I, I think you did a great job with uh, portraying CJ's like panic and vulnerability and just uh, her state of paralysis uh, when she's going through this time. And um it, it was interesting for me as an adult reader uh, reading those scenes because obviously I don't know uh, how um, how it feels to be a teen who has an unplanned pregnancy. Um, was like when you were writing those scenes, did you talk to any uh, any teenagers who have gone through this experience or other women who um, have gone through abortions? Because it is a very sensitive topic. Yeah, um, I I did actually. So um, I had this like I knew that this was going to be something that happened to her, um, and I knew from the beginning that I wanted that that she was going to get this abortion and not feel terrible about it. Um, so that general idea came to me from um, Lindy West's book. I don't know if it was a book or a podcast, uh, the, the, her book, um, Shrill, or maybe it was a podcast about it where she talked a little bit about that, um, uh, about this uh, idea that the, the sort of dominant narrative of the pro-choice movement is that um, abortion is a really difficult and traumatic choice for for people, so you shouldn't shame them for having an abortion. Um, but then, you know, there's this other thing that, like, it's not always difficult, and you shouldn't feel ashamed of that either. Um, to make the decision, anyway. Uh, and um, so, I she had Lindy West has a website which I cannot. I think it's called my my abortion. Um, I don't know if it's dot com or, or or what, but anyway, there's a lot of. Uh, it's it's a space for women to write their stories. Um, and, you know, so I, I read a few of those and I did actually speak with a couple of women who had, um, yeah, Asian American women who were pregnant um, 
as teenagers or very, very young, you know, like 21, 22 young adults. Um, and I, yeah, I took a lot of my, I put a lot of their experiences into CJ's experience. Um, it, it was also really nice that uh, it was a conversation that CJ could have with her mother, who also faced that choice and took a different choice. Uh, she she mm-hmm. did decide to go with uh, the unplanned pregnancy. And I really liked that there was a contrast to that and um, that it was something that could be talked about and uh, how she didn't pressure um, CJ into having um, to going through with the pregnancy. Um, it, it is something that I don't really see a lot of um, in, in books, especially with Asian American characters. I feel like the subject of sex and pregnancy is kind of uh, closed off for, for a lot of Asian American families. Yeah, I um, yeah, I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised that uh, even some like second gener, second third generation Asian families I know are kind of closed mouthed about sex. Um, it's not but, so so much of a taboo, but uh, it just it just never really comes up. Yeah, right, and yeah, it's just it's just I. But I, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like we're it's it's a little bit embarrassing. So why bring it up if you don't have to? And, <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I I've always tried to like with my kids. Like I just said, like I'm gonna make sure they know everything that they need to know, and I make an effort to um, to be open with them about about sex. So I thought that. Yeah, <laughs> it would be nice to have a family that is like that, an Asian family. <laughs> yeah, I, I really did uh, like how um, how that was a conversation that, uh, uh, again, that like Mimi and CJ could have together and that it wasn't um, it wasn't something that um, I, I guess it, I guess the way you portrayed it, it, it seemed more like this is a thing that happens and mm-hmm. uh, it's not like. Like it, it, like you said, like uh, abortion doesn't have to be a really difficult, traumatic decision. It it could be um, something that is a very straightforward choice. Um, so my my last question is: I really loved Owen's shirts, uh, his oh. his history buff <laughs> shirts. I I loved his uh like his history videos that uh, you wrote into the book, and I, I I'm just wondering because uh, one of one of my favorite shirts that uh, that's described in the book uh, it has the quote if there's anything that the lessons of history have taught us it's that people haven't learned the lessons of history, and mm-hmm. I, I just want to know like we're like did you come up with these uh, slogans for the shirts or is that, are, are they something that like actually exist in real life? Because I would like to know where oh, I can yeah. oh, buy yeah. them. No, no, I just Googled like history joke t-shirts. <laughs> okay, great. And, um, so they exist. And those came up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Like the dinosaur one is on like snork teas. <laughs> so, um, I wish I was that, that clever, but it was that was just Google. Um, so I, I I guess like what what's next for you? 
Um, or is there anything that you're working on now? I'm working on a third book. Um, I can't say a whole lot about it just yet, uh, but it, um, I was kind of um, sort of emotionally drained after writing this <laughs> this one. Uh, this, this time will be different. So uh, I think, I guess what I can say is that the third book is going to be a little bit lighter, just a little... Um, little heavier on the rom-com uh, angle, and um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to to having that come out. I don't know when that will be, but hopefully, hopefully in the next year or two. Two? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. How, oh no, it's it's it, publishing. It <laughs> publishing <laughs> runs on its own. Uh, run, runs on its own yeah. time. Um, I I said that was going to be the last question, but I I was lying. Um, is if there's one thing you want your readers to take away from uh, this time will be different. What what would you like it to be? Ah, yeah. I think you know. I I, I think the main thing I want people to do is start asking themselves questions. Um, because I. Yeah, like I like to say about my own writing that I don't answer questions. I really write. I write my books because I just want to explore. And um, so, yeah, I I would hope that readers would come away just sort of thinking about their own lives, um, whether it be on a personal level or you know, community level, or, you know, if they want, if they're thinking about national issues or, you know, um, how can they, or how can we, um, deal with the injustices of the past and, um, yeah, whether we are the ones who committed the injustice or whether it was someone, you know, from a long time ago, um, what responsibilities do we bear um, both as the victims and as the perpetrators or uh, the observers of injustice? Um, yeah, I guess that's, yeah, I want people to ask themselves that question. How, oh. do, how do these, yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with us, Misa. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. Rira. I've had a really great time. <laughs> And uh, where can our um, listeners find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at uh, at miscellaneous one. That's M I S A L L A N E O U S one. Um, and on Instagram at the same handle at miscellaneous one. Uh, and I also have a website that's just misasugira dot com. All right. And uh, that that will be the end of, uh, I guess, uh, this talk with Misa Sugiara, the author of This Time Will Be Different. And that was Rira's conversation with Misa Sugiara, uh, the author of This Time Will Be Different. Um, hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm actually super interested in checking this book out. Uh, Given our last episode's um, 
lengthy discussion on the、uh, situation surrounding Nono Boy. I think. Yeah, the timing is, is、like, kind of. <laughs> yeah, and with just the current climate around literal detainment camps coming back to the public knowledge, I think. Yeah,、uh, this book definitely reminded me of Angie Thomas's "The Hate You Give."、Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really nice to see books where、uh, teenagers who are、uh, social justice、uh, activists and、uh, them like really、um, tackling these really important issues in, in politics and also just like. Yeah, their community. It's it's really really nice because I feel like it reflects the reality of、uh, of our country right now. <laughs> young young people are doing so many、uh, incredible things, and they're、uh, you know at the forefront of like so many movements right now. Yeah, and it's important to know that you know history doesn't like your life doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's you know the reason that we live or work wherever we are is the result of like years and years of a lot of. History happening, good and bad, you know.、Um, so, yeah. I, I wish I could lend it to you, Marvin, but I read it on my Kindle, so <laughs> I know I can lend it maybe like two times on, like through like、uh-huh. digital. I don't di- digital like magic, but、um, yeah, it's all good. Go、um, buy your own copy. <laughs> yeah, the book is on sale now. Um, at booksellers everywhere, so go check it out. The book again is "This Time Will Be Different" by Misa Sugiura.、Um, check it out, and don't forget our July book club pick for books in Bulba is "The Zero Sum Game" by S. L. Huang.、Um, it's already locked and loaded on my Kindle, so I can't wait to check it out during my. You know, I'm going out of town for a couple of weeks, so that's why we're postponing、no. the Haruki Murakami discussion. And I had just come back from New York, so、yeah. it's just it's just. Been a scheduling nightmare, guys. So thank you for your patience,、yeah. and、uh, we will see you guys. Not see you guys. <laughs> we will talk to you guys soon. Yeah.、Um, if you do have thoughts about Kafka on the shore and want to get it on our radar before our discussion, please let us know on our Goodreads forums.、Um, and yeah, like we were said, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. I wanted to give a quick shout out to the Potluck Podcast Collective,、um, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts that we're proud to be a part of.、Um, you can learn more about the collective and our fellow Potluck Podcast shows by going to the website podcastpotluck dot com. And also thanks to Visual Communications,、um, the Potluck Podcast Studios is located within the Visual Communications offices in downtown LA.、Uh, thanks to VC for always providing us a space to record this podcast. And on that note, Vera. I'll see you.、Uh, I'll see you next time to talk about this Murakami thing that we got ourselves into. Yes. Oh my god, I'm so scared. <laughs> But we will. We will survive.、Okay. Yes. All right. See ya. Bye, everyone. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to DC and beyond.、Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation. The good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts, or at theycallsbruce dot com. Peace, peace.